Well, God bless you, everybody. Uh, the scene is Jerusalem. We've been, we've been there for the last few weeks, and the occasion is Passover, which means that the city, a small kind of a place, felt smaller because hundreds of thousands of people, Jewish people, would make pilgrimage up to Jerusalem during this time. There were three pilgrim feasts. This is one of them. The other two are Shavuot and Sukkot, or Pentecost and Tabernacles. And this is the third Passover. So people would come up from all over to Jerusalem. And the Lord is there during this week. This is his last week on earth. Uh, soon he will be murdered. Uh, actually, to be more precise and correct, he won't be murdered. He is going to willingly give up his life. Uh, that's going to happen during the week we're reading about now in the text. And so we'll pick up where we left off last week. It's John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. John 12, verse 20. There we read, there were some Greeks. Uh, they were non-Jews. They were from nations other than Israel or the land of Canaan. Uh, they were from Gentile nations. And this is very interesting to notice that there were some, we could say, Gentiles among those who were going up to worship at the feast. So this is a little surprising. They're not Jews. They're not descendants of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they desired to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they found their way there in Jerusalem, the holy city, during this special occasion, uh, Passover, and they were there to, to worship, to try to get close to this, to this God of Israel. But there was a problem. They were not permitted to go too far uh, on the temple mount, the temple precincts. In fact, their access to the temple was limited. Their proximity to it was legislated. They had to keep their distance. They were, they were Gentiles, you see. They weren't Jews. And so they were only permitted to go as far as what was then called the court of the Gentiles. And you could see it depicted on this image in front of you. Can you see in the bottom right that label court of Gentile and then up above as well? Now that inner uh, structure where the temple building is, there's a court of women. Uh, the women, Jewish women, could get somewhat closer to the Holy of Holies than the Gentiles. And uh, the Jews, Jewish men, Jewish men, they had closest access to the inner courts of the temple. But Gentiles, as you could see, had to kind of know their place and keep their, keep their distance. In fact, there was a barrier wall, if you can imagine it, constructed some 2,000 years ago here on that platform in order to make sure that the Gentiles didn't get uh, closer to the temple than they were permitted to. And so uh, if you take a look uh, at the next slide, you'll see a notion of where the barrier wall would be. Can you see it on the bottom and then it goes up sort of on an angle to the top? That's a barrier wall. So on this side... Gentiles on that side, closest to the, to the temple and in that inner court, uh, only Jews were permitted there. That's the way it was. In fact, in 1871, archaeologists who were doing 
uh, excavation work here at the Temple Mount found an engraved block of limestone, and it looks like this. Here's a, a picture of it. And the writing on that engraved block, that writing may be unfamiliar to you, that's not Hebrew, that's Greek. Because the message on it was not to Hebrew-speaking Jews. The message on it was to Greek-speaking Gentiles. It was found in 1871, though it's about 2,000 years old. And here's what the inscription says. No man of another nation is to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. That's what it said. And I am wondering if, in light of this, the barrier and these, these signs warning Gentiles to keep their distance, I wonder if it's in light of all this, which the Apostle Paul was surely familiar with, I wonder if in that context he wrote what he did in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, Paul the Jew is speaking to Gentiles. Now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who were formerly far off have been brought near. How? Not by the law of Moses, which was only given to the Jews, but by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Paul says, is our peace, our Shalom is the word, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and, get this, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. I wonder when Paul, if Paul, when he said what he did there in Ephesians 2, was speaking about what you previously saw, a barrier, a dividing wall, which kept Gentiles from having close access to the temple. The dividing wall was a symbol of division between Jews and Gentiles. And I'll bet you Paul rejoiced that there was a way, faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, whereby those two uh, very uh, contrasting ethnic groups could find their peace in one new man, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, the Lord's invitation, the barrier wall said, keep your distance. <laughs> but the Lord's invitation is, come to me. And that's what he says. The law says, keep your distance. Religion says, keep your distance. Uh, but the Messiah says to all people, Jew and Gentile, he says, come to me. And that's given to absolutely everybody. So there is no longer any need for any particular people group to be far off from access to the Almighty and to the Lord Jesus Christ. For all now can draw near to holy God through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus, who came near to us. Anyway, that's what's happening on this occasion uh, during this Passover week. And verse 21 tells us, these then, the, these are a reference again to the Gentile visitors to Jerusalem on this occasion. These Greek-speaking Gentiles, not Hebrew-speaking, Greek-speaking, these then came to Philip. You've heard of him. He's the one, it says here, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. It's a real place. When we go to Israel, we go to this place, Bethsaida. All this is true stuff. This is God's word. Now, why did, they, why did these Gentiles go to uh, Philip of Bethsaida? Well, I'll tell you why. One, 
they knew he was a follower of Yeshua, this unusual rabbi whom they came to see. They had heard of the miracles he performed, you know, not the least of which was raising Lazarus from the dead. They thought for sure as an observant Jew, he would be there on the occasion of Passover. And they wanted to see him and they identified this fella, Peter, we know him to be one of the Lord's disciples. They identified him with the Lord. So that's one reason they went over to him. Second, Philip is a Greek name. That's not a Hebrew name. Philip is a Greek name, and they probably thought maybe he speaks our language. And then it's also possible, since he's from Bethsaida, it's possible that they had some interaction with Philip even prior to this uh, 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 episode, and they probably recognized him. And so they go over to Philip, and look what it says they did. They began to ask, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's what they said. We wish to see Gentiles, said to this Jewish guy from Bethsaida, we wish to see Jesus. And they went to Philip because they perceived him to be someone who could show them how. Wouldn't it be a great prayer for you and I to utter every morning, Lord, would you make me to be somebody who in the eyes of those apart from you uh, is seen as someone who knows you. So that if the time comes when they want to know of you, they will seek me out. Wouldn't it be great if we lived with such commitment and wholeheartedness uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ that people in our neighborhood, work environment, and uh, schools could see that is a Christ one. That's a, that's a follower of this Jesus. If I want to know about him, that's the person I should go to. You know, uh, uh, it's quite a blessing. Uh, I, uh, I was in the military uh, uh, a long time ago, and uh, I, I got an email the other day from a guy I was stationed with 45 years ago. 45 years ago. That's in, what war is that? Is that like World War I or something? That was a long time ago. And, uh, and, and the email said, hey, are you the Stuart Rothberg who used to be stationed at such and such place? You know, he named the military base. And, and his name was on that. I knew exactly who it was. I still have pictures of, of him. We were stationed together 45 years ago. So I, he left his number. I called him. I said, hey, uh, this is Stuart. How'd you get in touch with me? What's happened? We started to just, get caught up on things, and um, he wasn't doing particularly well. And uh, I must tell you, I was really, really thrilled that he chose to get in touch with me. I became a Christian at that military installation 45 years ago, or was it 1973 is what it was. And uh, we spent a little time together, and, and uh, 45 years later, he's a little troubled, lacking peace, and... Uh, he didn't contact a Hollywood movie star or a professional athlete. He contacted someone who was inhabited by the very spirit of God. And I don't see how that could happen. And it doesn't show at some point or another. Wouldn't it be great if every day we woke up, we said, oh, God, so fill me with your spirit. Let me not quench your spirit in me that people around see that there's, there's a, an awareness of you in my life. Now, by the way, 
a lot of the people we hang out with don't really know they're looking for Jesus. <laughs> they're searching, they're looking for something and they, they may not call him Jesus. They're looking for different things and they're depending on us to tell them, we know the one you're looking for. You've been let down by the stuff of this life. You're looking for the one who can bequeath to you eternal life. Folks, that's our job, by the way. That's our primary mission, to be ambassadors for Christ. Anyway, Philip, I bet, was excited about this. In this crowd of thousands of people, they sought him out, this being their desire. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And uh, I, uh, I expect that there are people out there like these, always looking. Um, uh, Stephen over there, Steve was telling me the guy's the hell fighters who are out in Sturgis on the way. Uh, Steve, I'm not going to get the details right. Now, I was telling you, I'm not going to tell this story because I want the guys to share it, but here I am telling this story. Okay, thank you. They stopped at a gas station to fill up, and there was a lady there, and uh, David, the president of the club, began to speak with her, but she was a Spanish-speaking later. Uh, lady, and so David called over Raul. Raul Izquierdo is one of our great guys, sits over there in that section usually. And so Raul was able to speak with her in Spanish, and he said to her, Steve, I've got you told me. He said, Have you thought about salvation? Did I get that right? And this lady said, To tell you the truth, lately I have been. Can you tell me about it? And they led her to the Lord right there at the filling pump. Now, you tell me God didn't prepare them and this lady and all that kind of that stuff. And, uh, and, and then uh, they called me and left a message on my phone. Last night, the guys were hungry, and so they uh, called to have a pizza delivered. This is in Sturgis. You know, it's, that's the biggest gathering of bikers in the world. And our guys, are their health fighters, are there to share the gospel. Anyway... They got hungry last night, so they called the pizza place. I think it was Pizza Hut. I don't know. And this young gal delivered a pizza. And Raul uh, uh, said to her, you know what he said to her? I, I don't know where he got this. He shared, he shared, he said she was busy. She said, I'm busy. I don't have much time. He said, we just have a few words, 40 to be precise. And uh, oh, look at that. That's them. And Raul said to this young gal over there in Sturgis delivering a pizza, he said, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. And conversation ensued, and they led this little gal delivering a pizza. They led her to the Lord right there. Right there. Folks, they were floating and I'm floating just thinking about it. The, those are missionaries out there. That's, the, that's what they're doing. But we're all missionaries. We're all on mission. Did you know that? And so if you're looking for a way, you say, I don't know how to share my faith, then take these 40 words. Doesn't take you long to memorize it. Take the, and you don't have to worry about getting it right. It's just the, the content of it. And you can get a conversation going with anybody, even a busy pizza delivery lady. It just takes, look how long it it didn't take more than a minute to, to go through this. And then you, at the end, you say, but I've never shared my faith. When you finish, you could say, here, this is brilliant. You could say, so what do you think? <laughs> That's all. It's just something to get conversation going. Otherwise, what are you talking about that really matters? Nothing matters. <laughs> Everything is passing, fleeting, 
temporary. This matters. The gospel message, this matters. And so they led this little girl to, anyway, I use this all the time because I too, I don't, you know, I, I stumble a little better. I don't want to talk about superficial stuff. I want to talk about this, but I don't know how to get it started. So I memorized these 40 words. I encourage you too. And you, look, when you start out, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Boom, the busiest person is all ears. They don't know what, they think you're going to tell me you won the lottery or something like that. So that's it. You want to get their attention. You want to move the conversation from things that don't matter to things that really matter. I encourage you to memorize the 40 words. Go out this week. Ask God to give you a chance to share those 40 words with one person. Once you do it, you will be addicted. You will be. There's nothing that gives as much joy as representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Very interesting. It's a bit of a fearsome enterprise, and, uh, and because of our fears, the enemy persuades us no one's interested, and therefore we don't open our mouths. He's lying to us. There's lots of people. In, you were interested. I was interested 45 years ago in a military barracks when a guy told me about Jesus. There's a lot of people like you and I out there. We just have the joy of going on a treasure hunt and trying to find them. So the 40 words could help. Anyway, verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew. I just reminded myself that I get, got to get back to the text. <laughs> Philip told Andrew. So the Gentile folks in Jerusalem uh, 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 targeted Philip. They identified him as being with the Lord Jesus, and they speak to him about him maybe making an introduction for them. And then Philip goes, the text says, verse 22, and told Andrew, and I'm wondering why. What's the big deal? How is this big news? Why did he consult with Andrew? I'll tell you why. I know this is hard for us 2,000 years removed to get this, but the gospel was not being offered to Gentile people. Um, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. Oh, yeah, and by the way, also the Gentiles. I, I maybe didn't read that the right way, but, but I'm telling you at this point, um, the gospel was not being shared with the Gentiles. Now, you got... Philip and Andrew, these are Jewish guys. They didn't hang out with Gentiles. They didn't grow up in Gentile neighborhoods. They didn't eat the same food. In fact, Gentiles were considered to be profane pagans outside the law of Moses, you know, all that kind of stuff. You couldn't eat food in the house of a Gentile. You'll get cooties. You'll get, I mean, you get defiled or something. I'm telling you all this. So that's why Philip thought, this is like big doings here. These Gentiles want a piece of this. They want to get in on, who, what? Can, how can we bring him to the Messiah? Jesus, Yeshua is the Jewish Messiah. Andrew, what do you think? So that's what's going on here. They're, they're consulting. And they remember what the Lord himself taught them in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isn't it interesting the way the tables have turned? Today, it's like a weird thing for a Jew to believe in Jesus, statistically. But in that day, it was a weird deal for you people to pursue him. Look at that. Oh, my kingdom for the good old days. But this is it, what it was. Before the gospel was universally proclaimed, you shouldn't take that for lightly. It was restricted only to Jews. And so the Jewish disciples are wondering about all this. And so Andrew and Philip, now here's what they did. They came and told Jesus. And the Lord has a response for those people who say, we admire you. We're interested in getting to know you. We, 
just as the Gentiles said, we want to see Jesus. So here's his somewhat peculiar response beginning in verse 23. He's about to tell them what it's going to take to see him. They want to see him. He says, I'll tell you what it takes. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, up until now, the hour has always been coming, but now the hour has come. What hour? What are we talking about? It's the hour or the time of his crucifixion. It's just a couple days from the time indicated here in this episode. The hour of his crucifixion will come. And that's what he says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, when I read that, I thought it was a misprint. It shouldn't say the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Shouldn't it say the hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified? But it doesn't. Why not? <clears throat> because the Lord saw glory in the cross. That's why. And if you pause to think about it, of course there's glory. There's the glory of sheer and utter trust in the Father. The Lord Jesus did what the Father sent him to do. That's glorious. Obedience is a glorious thing. There's glory in the fact that God came up with the solution to the penalty of sin which plagues us. On that cross, there's glory not only in the cross, but there's glory in what will immediately follow it. It's called resurrection. And so the Lord knew, I, I, I will be crowned. But first the cross. You can't get to the crown. You can't bypass the cross. You have to go through the cross to get to the crown. You can't be exalted as you will until you are humiliated as he was first. By the way, that's the order of things for those who follow Christ. So in case you're wondering why you're going through all the nonsense you're going through, I'm telling you, first the humiliation and then the glorification. The best is yet to come, but it's going to take us a while to get there. And so, so he's, he's saying, remember, he, this is the context. He's explaining to these Gentile uh, seekers, well, all right, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified or, or, or glorified. And then the Lord says something kind of peculiar. In verse 24, he says, truly, truly. Now, when that word is repeated, truly, truly, it means listen up. He's serious. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I don't know anything about agriculture. I'm from New York. We don't, I mean, we don't, but apparently this is the case. A grain of wheat, a, a seed, falls into the ground. It, in essence, dies, but in the course of doing so, it makes possible germination, and you get uh, like a ton of things growing. So, so, so the Lord is essentially saying, like the seed, which is implanted in the ground and then produces a great harvest, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be impaled upon a cross, an excruciating way to go, and then I'm going to be placed in the ground like any dead person will. And some pe people think that's going to be the end of things. But no, as with the seed, death leads to life agriculturally. So too with me. My death is going to lead to life. A whole harvest of people who follow after me and will rise from the dead just as, as I will. And so the Lord is saying, by dying, I will produce a harvest of many children as well. How many people here are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Could you raise your hand, please? So look at this. Keep your hand up just for a second. It's kind of a neat vision. 
um, the scripture is true. 2,000 years ago, he was impaled on the cross, and he said, I have to die in order to make people live, and everyone with their hand up has eternal life. Look at that. You just proved this scripture. And you, you, in raising your hand, you just proved that what the Lord Jesus did was not in vain. His death was meant so that you and I could live. And so that's ex- essentially what, what he's saying. But then I asked the question, if the Lord was here, I'd say, Lord, with all due respect, what in the world does this have to do with the Gentiles who are seeking you? They tell Philip we would see Jesus. And, you know, you're sharing all this stuff. And then it suddenly dawned on me. What kind of Jesus do they want to see? Well, the average person today wants to see a Jesus according to their own making. We want to see a Jesus, well, let's face it. We want to see Santa Claus in the form of Jesus. That's it. We want someone who's going to give us good gifts. We want someone who is going to spare us the pains of life. Uh, We want someone who's essentially going to be at our beck and call and who's going to do for us what we expect and want him to do for us. Like these people in this day, we want kind of a victorious political sort of a Messiah kind of a person. We want, you know, we want someone who's not going to allow disease to come our way or tragedy of different kinds. Let's be honest. That, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of Jesus we want. And he being so honest is essentially saying, that's not the kind of Jesus I are. So you claim to be ones who want to see Jesus, but what, what Jesus, do you want to see a crucified Jesus? Do you want to see a Jesus impaled on a cross and before he got there, do you want to see a Jesus whipped, scourged with whips, with things on it, uh, uh, scraping across his back and causing all kinds of bleeding? Do you want to see a Jesus humiliated in a crowd? (laughs) Do you want that kind of king on whom impale a crown of thorns and put this purple robe on him in mockery? Do you want to see a Jesus who suffers the most excruciating death known to man? A criminal's death. Do you want to see a Jesus actually crucified between two criminals? Is this the, is this the, you say you want to see Jesus, but are you really sure you know the kind of Jesus I am? That's why he's saying, that's why he's saying exactly what he, you know what he's saying? You want to see Jesus? The way to see me is the way of the cross. There's no other way. People want the way of the crown. They, like the people of the day, want a triumphant Jesus, a a royal uh, Jesus, a personage who's head and shoulders above everybody else, uh, one who will uh, do things we want him to do and keep bad things from us, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he says, no, if you want to see me, if you want to find me, if you want to follow me, Uh, If you're looking for the way to do that, I'll tell you what it is. It's the way of the cross. That's what he says. And then he doesn't leave it just there. He brings it right home to them and even to us in verse 25. He said, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. He said, what I did is uh, a model and a standard this is the kind of Messiah I am, and if you would have me as your Savior, this has to be true for you as well. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates it keeps it. Now, what does that mean? You can't enjoy the things of life? It doesn't mean that at all. 
It means the one whose focus is too much on the confines of this life, uh, such that he, he's trying, he or she is trying to protect it and insure it and, you know, invest in it and, you know, all the stuff of this life, the pursuit of uh, various passions and possessions and positions, you know, that's it. Get all the gusto, swing, uh, squeeze all the meaning you can out of your short span here on earth. The one who loves life to that extent, <laughs> he's going to see it just sort of slip through his hands. And you see that in the news every day. I was going to get specific and read some uh, talked to you about the sad, tragic stories of very of the rich and famous who've come upon fame and fortune and all. But I didn't want to do that. I, uh, you're exposed to enough of them, just as I am. People at the top of the world's game in terms of material wealth and uh, all the rest—they're dropping like flies, folks. They end up killing themselves in hotel rooms, or they end up. This one beautiful gal, a very wonderful singer. Uh, I don't want to mention her, but uh, you've seen her in the news. Uh, she was hospitalized for an overdose. She struggled with drugs and alcohol. You see, you look at this. You look at this young lady. She's gorgeous, and what a what a magnificent gift she has. Her her voice, and it has given her lots of fame and fortune. I mean. Uh, if she walked through a crowd of younger people, my goodness, she, she couldn't get everyone to, they want her autograph and all their, she's, in, she's hospitalized now. It's not the first time she's had struggles. By the way, when you see people like this, I hope you don't get disgusted, but for God's grace, that's you and me, isn't it? I hope you use the news as a prayer prompter and that you pray. I'm thinking, man, in the hospital, oh God, send someone, a nurse, a doctor, somebody who can take the gospel to her because she's not been good newsed. She's accumulated a bunch of stuff. You see, that's what, she has loved this life. So you have an are. She has loved the stuff of this temporary fleeting life and she's filled herself up with all of these things, cars and houses and all the rest. And in the, in the course of bolstering up and substantiating her life, just as the text says, she's losing it. She's losing it. And, and so the Lord is saying, you know, the, the one who follows me, the one who follows me is not given up on life, enjoys the things of life, but is not so focused on it that he or she forgets this is not the real deal. The one who follows me is dying to uh, passions and to uh, an inordinate quest for possessions and positions. That one has died just as he has died. That one has kind of crucified the flesh and instead is living for what is more glorious. And that is to say the stuff of the other life, the stuff, the stuff to come. That's a mark of salvation. That's a mark of someone following the Savior. And so he's been quite honest to these Gentile seekers. You know what he's saying? He's saying lots of people admire me but far fewer are willing to follow me. Which one are you? A lot of people admire Jesus. So what? Will we follow him to the cross? Listen, I'm gonna tell you something. I shouldn't tell you this, but here I go, I will. So I was tempted the other day with my eyes. This is a thing for men. In I suppose women too, but especially men. The eye gate, we really have to watch it. You really have to be careful. So my eyes, uh, I'm not ashamed of telling you this because you're just like me, but I think you're probably worse. 
I'm just, but anyway, so, um, so, so my, my eyes came upon a, a, a lady and uh, they were staying there and it was quite enjoyable. And I remember this passage uh, where the Lord Jesus said, Do you, did you, are you an admirer of me or a follower? Did you see the pattern in my life? First the cross and then the crown and I died uh, for you, and there's great glory to follow there. And, and so he, I, I heard these words, he who hates his life. And that doesn't mean hate living. No, 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 no. It, it means it, it, it hates giving in to the temptations of life, which are only meant to please your flesh for a few minutes, instead of saying, I'm dead, I'm dying. I will deny myself that fleeting pleasure because my focus is on things of eternal consequence. I must tell you, that helped me quite a bit. I, I'm offering it to you because I think you struggle, a lot of you, the same way I do, do that. You're in the midst of that very tempting situation and, and you're about uh, to please yourself and, and then you remember what the Lord Jesus has done and you don't want to just be an admirer. You want to be a follower and following him is the way of the cross, which means you crucify the flesh and you say, I'm tempted. The flesh is alive and well. Forget it. I'm not giving into it. I'm acting as if it's dead and I'm walking away from such and such. Why? Because I don't want to cling to the stuff, even the pleasures, the illicit pleasures of this life as if it's going to give me life. No, no, it's going to diminish it. It's going to diminish it. No, instead I want to live for the values and realities of the life to come, which is exactly what the Lord Jesus did. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see? And so he's being, well, I can see here he's not looking to have a big church because you don't tell Seekers, you don't tell them something like this. If you want to follow me in this church, you got to crucify yourself. That's what you have to die to self. You have to say no to the flesh. That's what I did. That's what I expect for you. I mean, people won't do that because he has more admirers than he has followers. But he's saying quite honestly to Jew and Gentile today, and I hope we're hearing him here today, stop admiring me. Follow me. It's the way of, it's the way of the the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. A Christian does not earn his or her salvation by dying to this life, but a Christian shows evidence of his or her salvation by dying to this life and by living in terms of the values of the, of the life to come. And so to live here as if this world is all there is, is not to follow Jesus. To get all the gusto you can now is not, is not to follow Jesus at all. The true disciple of Christ knows there's more to life than, than this life. And that true disciple, you know what he or she is doing? So living uh, that there'll be reward, special reward for him or her in heaven. Now you may think that's a bad thing, but it's not. Let me read you this closing verse, verse 26. The Lord's still speaking. If anyone serves me, See, people want to see him, but do they want to serve him? Look how honest he's being. You don't ever want to tell an unbeliever except Jesus and everything will be cool. No, it won't. I was talking to a lady the other day who said to me, the, more, uh, the longer she follows Jesus, the harder things get. She's right, because there's a pruning process going on. <laughs> that hurts. 
You know what it says? Maybe we'll get there one day. I doubt it. But John 15, it says, if you abide in me, I abide in you. I will prune you so that you can bear more fruit. And I'm thinking, wow, that doesn't sound like much of a reward. Pruning, that's like cutting off stuff. Yeah, the Christian life, it gets harder uh, as your roots in the faith go deeper because the Lord can entrust a little more pruning to you and me. Anyway, uh, so he says to these who are followers, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And, and where I am, there my servant will be also. Then he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's what it says. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, what form does all that take? I don't have any idea. I think it's legitimate to think about it. We think about worshiping and honoring God as we should, but this text says if we serve Jesus as son, the Father will honor us. I want to tell you, when that happens, all these fleeting pleasures of life will pale in comparison. There'll be nothing. We'll say, just as Paul did, all that stuff is rubbish. It's all junk. Can you imagine being honored by God himself? Now, the Gentiles desired to see Jesus, but Jesus lets them know it wasn't enough to see him. They have to serve him. Would they? Well, I don't know. Once again, the Lord has many admirers, but fewer followers. Which is it for you and me? As an incentive to be a follower, not just an admirer, look at this closing phrase in that verse. Where I am, there my servant will be also. Hmm. Now we know God is with us. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, compound. Can you hear the L? That's... Uh, a divine name, El, like Elohim, El Shaddai, Imanu, with us. Emmanuel is the God who is with us. We know Jesus, in the form of a man, came to be with us. Not only that, we know God, in, uh, in his spirit, has taken up his abode in us. We are indwelt by the spirit of God. So we know God is with us, and that alone is something to rejoice in. But then when you read this verse, not only is God with us, we're, we are told we one day will be with God. Now, I think that is just overwhelming. Chew on that. Make it your last thought tonight while you're tossing and turning uh, on the pillow, trying to get to bed. Think about this. Yes, yes, Jesus is with us, Emmanuel. But one day, we're going to get to be with him. What will that be like? I mean, let your mind just go wild. And you won't even come. The Bible says what God has in store for us, we, you know, is way beyond even what we can imagine. Think of the most beautiful sight on earth you've ever seen. That's nothing. Think of the most fun you've ever had. That's nothing. Think of the most satisfied you've ever been. That's nothing. <laughs> think about, think, think about the, uh, the time when you felt most loved. That's nothing. Think about the most exciting, sensational time. you That's nothing, nothing. Can you imagine to be with Jesus in an environment not corrupted by sin? That has no end. There's no space or time dimension. So, so there's no aging. <laughs> there's no past, present, or future. Time is not linear. Time is... Time is a vehicle God works through now. It's not necessary in a timeless dimension. 
spaceless dimension. What does that mean? Can we float? Can we walk through things like this? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just enjoy thinking about it. And I like to think about it a lot when I'm about to sell my soul for some of the world's junk. I like to think about it. No way. I'm going to crucify the flesh. I'm going to do just what my Savior has done because there's glory after it. And I'm going to look forward to the time. Maybe, maybe. Maybe the honor is when the Father sees us for the first time and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you imagine? Wow. Can you imagine that? I don't know. Maybe that's, that's, that's what the reward is. But to be with Jesus in an exalted, resurrected, ascended state that has no end. That's what happens to those who are not just admirers, but are followers of Jesus. I beseech you, don't play games with the cross on which Jesus died. Embrace it. Embrace it. Say, crucified Savior, I wish to follow you for keeps. Uh, I've given you a nod now and then, nod to God. <laughs> now I want to give you my heart and my life uh, as you gave yours for me. I'm speaking not to unsaved people, but to saved people here. Aren't you tired of a humdrum Christian life? <laughs> Going through the motions? Why don't you just say, I've been in neutral. Why don't you just say, it's time to do business. I want to be a radical disciple of you, Lord Jesus. I'm just going to say no to a whole bunch of stuff. That's, if it's not blatantly sinful, it's just distracting me from following you. And instead... I think I want to go out there and, and share 40 words with somebody who might say, thank you. Thank you for telling me the plan of salvation because I've been a lost individual in darkness and now I know how to be right with God. I'm going to tell you something. Not much else matters. Not much else matters. You know what bothers me? My lawn doesn't matter. But I used to work on that thing to get a really sharp, nice... Did I ever tell you, this is real bad. This is like confession night for me. After mowing it, trimming it, doing all the stuff, if the edges weren't exactly what I want to, I'd go out there on my hands and knees with a pair of scissors to cut it, to cut it. My wife would be looking, you know, about ready to call the counseling department. Or what is, no, because I wanted, I mean, the yard is an extension of me. And I want all the neighbors to pass by and say, oh my goodness, who is that guy who can pull that off? You know, that kind of deal. Well, I had come to grips with it. My lawn doesn't matter. <laughs> so you know what I do now? I pay some guys to do it. It's really a drag. They go out, they don't use scissors or anything. They just lop it off. 10 minutes, they're gone. I go out there, I shake my head. and You know, there's nothing to be too proud about. But I'll tell you what I did do. I shared 40 words with the guys who cut my lawn. Isn't that better? You understand what I'm saying? First the humiliation, then the exaltation. First the crucifixion, and then the glorification. As it was with Jesus, so with us. You wish to see Jesus? You can only see him as an impaled Savior on a cross who subsequent to it rose up from death. And in union with him, so too will we. The best is yet to come. Right now we got work to do. That's it. Don't put it in neutral. Let's get to work. What does the servant receive? 
some kind of honorable mention from the Father. And the sheer and utter ecstasy of being where Jesus is. Wow. Lord Jesus, that's really our heart's desire. And we've let oftentimes worldly things get in the way. Not necessarily blatantly sinful things, just distracting things. And oh God, we want to have our mind set on living for you because that's all that matters. And in the end, we want to touch as many people as we possibly can with the gospel message. We want to be ones in whose lives it is apparent that we have been with you so that seekers out there will say, help me, talk to me. I need what? I need who you have. Oh God, as time perhaps draws to an end, it's not too dramatic to think that that might be the case. Help us not to slow down, but uh, get in another gear. Help us, oh God, to see absolutely no person just as a waiter, a plumber, or someone mowing our yard, but as someone who needs to hear the gospel message, someone who needs a chance to make a decision about accepting you or not. Oh God, that's our job description. Thank you so much for the people who've shared you with us. It's changed our lives. Now help us to go out there and spread the wealth. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.